Our scripture reading this morning is in Mark chapter 12, so I ask you to turn there with me. Continuing in our series in Mark, but we have a special emphasis on mothers today. So let's stand together as we read God's word. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles in the back. Just raise your hand right now. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use for our service this morning. We want everyone to have access to a Bible. If you can read, to have access to a Bible that you can follow along in God's word. Mark chapter 12, we'll be reading the entire chapter. And to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring, 
Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard him heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And, we, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God guide us in understanding his word and receive instruction, encouragement, and challenge from his word today. If you would, as you remain standing, we're going to take a, a moment for prayer, and then our choir will come with special music in the preaching of God's word today. So, remain. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather today to worship, 
We thank you that you have kept us safe during the week, that you've allowed us to come together and fellowship and enjoy the breakfast um, this morning that the men prepared. We thank you for each one that had a part in that. We thank you for this day that we acknowledge and recognize our mothers for the great contribution in our lives that they have given. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for um, just their hard work and the ones that loved you and showed that love to us and shared that love with us so that we might come to know you. We thank you for um, each of the mothers here today. We pray that you would encourage and bless mothers and the task that they have that oftentimes is un, uh, unrewarded or not properly recognized here on earth. We pray that they would, by faith, understand the importance that you have placed in their responsibility. They would carry them out for your glory and for your honor. They would faithfully take the task of raising, teaching, instructing children in how to prepare for this life and for eternity. So we pray and thank you for this. We uh, pray for those in this congregation, in this fellowship, some who couldn't be here today, praying that you would watch over and bless and keep, uh, heal. Uh, we pray for those who, uh, um, those who are here, each one here today, that we might just take in your word today. You'll use it to, to bring about uh, faithfulness in our lives. So we pray that we will honor you in all that we do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. in our series in Mark and here in chapter 12 we need to be reminded of what happened in chapter 11 we looked the first thing in chapter 11 was the triumphal entry of Christ and we we couldn't help but notice that it was anticlimactic in his entrance he came into Jerusalem then he left. He came in and left out. Um, it should have been or would have been a big thing. We saw the, all the, 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 the pomp and circumstance of, of, of his entry. We saw the palms being laid down. We see him riding in on an animal. And it's very clear that they are introducing a king into his kingdom and into the capital city there but he gets in and we notice as he comes into the city the curse of the fig tree we notice that the fig tree was a representation of Israel we see that several times in the Old Testament and also repeated in the New Testament including this chapter today that we'll look at um well, not the fig tree, but the fig tree and the vine also are both symbols of Israel. Today we'll look at the vine as that symbol in Israel, a symbol of Israel. And so we see him, the king has come. We see the curse of the fig tree, and uh, then we see him coming into the temple, cleansing the temple, and uh, going out. And then we see that his authority is challenged. They come to him and they say, who, who gives you the authority 
to do all these things that you, you do. And he very skillfully turns it back around on them and said, I'll answer that question if you'll answer me one question. He said, the, the authority of John the Baptist, where did it come from? Did it come from man or did it come from God? Did it come from heaven or did it just come from earth? And they, they came together and answered that question and uh, they, they figured they, they, they couldn't really answer that uh, without showing the hypocrisy and the, the uh, rebellion that they had uh, toward John the Baptist. Even, all the, even though all the people accepted John as a prophet, they didn't. The leaders didn't. And so they came back to Jesus and said, we don't know or we can't tell you. And Jesus says, neither will I tell you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't have to answer to you. I don't get my authority from you, and I do not have to answer to you as to what I do because you've already rejected what God has sent. And so this chapter 12 starts off with that as a backdrop. And notice, as he's doing this, one of the things that he commonly did was he taught in parables. Parables explain the, the uh, uh, circumstance or the rules of the kingdom of heaven. Now he's teaching them a parable. And look at the parable that he uses. He says... A man planted a vineyard. In this parable, there's the owner, the owner of the vineyard. There are tenants of the vineyard. In other words, the vineyard was given over to these workers to work it. They were hired for that reason. They're not the owners, but they work in the vineyard. And then there are some servants who are sent to these tenants to, to get the crop that the vineyard produced. The rightful owner is asking for the produce. And then there's the son at the end of this parable. This parable is, is one of those that are easy, is easy to understand. Some of the parables that Jesus taught uh, weren't easy to understand. This one is clear, and everybody heard it, had a sense for what he was talking about. The owner represents God the Father. The vineyard represents Israel. God owns all. He especially owns Israel as his people that he had brought into place in order to uh, uh, accomplish his purpose. Last, last week we talked about part of that purpose in Jesus when he corrected uh, those in the temple, he said, this temple ought to be, it's a house of God that ought to be a, 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 a house of prayer for all of the nations. It's God introducing himself to all of the nations, not just one nation, but to all. God is reaching out. And so the tenants represent the leaders of Israel, especially the religious leaders of Israel. And you can skip down to verse 12, and you can see that uh, they were upset about this story. Verse 12 says, They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. <laughs> they got it right. He was speaking the truth about them. Jesus had been saying over and over to his disciples that he's coming to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. 
he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be ridiculed, he's going to be put to death, and he's going to rise again. He has told this story to, to his disciples. He has come to Jerusalem. He has been rejected now. His authority has been questioned and challenged. And now he tells this parable. Do you get it? Do you understand what he's saying here? The parable is quite graphic when he says the owner, the rightful owner of the vineyard comes to require of the vineyard that which is his, which belongs to him. It's kind of like a, a, a landlord coming to collect rent. I, rem I was in that position once. I bought a house and it had tenants in it and, and uh, the tenants were to be transferred over to me and, and we sent a letter saying, look, you, you sent your rent to the bank, but now the bank, we have replaced the bank. We are your new landlords. They rejected that. Didn't want to pay rent. I had a letter sent from the bank saying, yes, Mr. Kenner is the rightful owner. You must pay your rent to him. They didn't want to hear that either. Came into the house and I wanted to make changes and didn't want to let me in the door. This is the same kind of thing. So we can understand these kinds of, of moments. And Jesus told a story right there like that. He said, look, the owner came to call to ask for what was rightfully his. He's the one that built the vineyard, this business of his. He cleared out the land. He owned the land. He, he uh, uh, improved the land and planted. And now he's ready to come and receive from that land. That's the picture of God. That's the picture of Israel's responsibility. They should see God as the one who gave them life, who brought them into existence, and to whom they owe all of their allegiance and faithfulness to. They were a unique people of God. And they were now rejecting the owner's request. He sent out... A, 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 a servant. And you notice in the story, he didn't just send out one. He sent out one and they, they treated him rudely. He sent out another, they beat again. He sent out another and they killed. It says some they beat, some they killed. And so you see the great patience of the owner. Finally, he says, I'll send them the greatest representation of me that I can send, certainly they will recognize and acknowledge him and not treat him wrongly. So he sent his son. When his son came in, it says they, the, the, the tenants got together and said, look, this is our chance. We will kill him, and then there will be no other heir to this land and to this business, and we'll take over it. It's a struggle. It's a power struggle going on. Who has the right to own and to operate this vineyard, this business? And so they execute their plan. The son is sent. They take him and they kill him. And then Jesus asked this question. And it's, it's, it's an interesting way it's phrased in the other Gospels. Jesus asked them for an answer to it. 
What do you think the owner's going to do to these tenants? And they answer, certainly he's going he, he, he's to kill them. He's going to get rid of them. He's going to not just punish them. He's going to destroy them, and he's going to give the vineyard to new tenants who will listen and follow his direction and give to him what he rightly deserves. Well, that was the answer. And we can see clearly what the story is teaching. Before we get to that, it says this in verse 10. Have you not read this scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? That comes from Psalm 118. And we, in fact, we looked at that psalm because it was quoted in, in chapter 11 as well. So Psalm 118 is, is a key psalm. We looked at a couple of verses there, and it gives this statement. It states this truth. And so we, we understand from here, it's a stone that the builders rejected. In other words, the one, as builders would, would, would go and gather stones, and they would put them up as they prepared to build a building, and they would look for one that would be good for the foundation. It had to be a straight and, and level stone. It had to be proper size and proper shape. And that's the stone that would be set as the main key of the foundation for that whole structure. And it says stones that, not just stones, but the stone that the builders rejected. In other words, they, they said, hey, this one here is it, no good for us. Throw it out. We can't use it for anything. Just throw this one out. Not only was it retrieved by the owner and set to be used, but it became the cornerstone, the most important, significant stone from which all the foundation rests on. Jesus is speaking of himself. He was to be rejected by the so-called builders, the so-called tenants, the one who had no ownership but took over ownership, if you will, assumed that ownership. It's the wickedness of the leaders in Israel is that they had rejected God himself and his own son, and they had taken leadership of the nation as if it was theirs. Jesus told a powerful story, and we can see their reaction. They wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't do it right then because they knew the story resonated with all the people who heard it. Jesus had a way in speaking the truth of getting to the hearts of the people around him, and because the hearts of those people, they, they, they had, they had a, in other words, they kind of like had a listening ear to what Jesus was saying. And so they couldn't get the people to turn on him now. And so they decided to try to figure out a way to do that. Now, so we, the first part, we see what I call the parable of the wicked tenants. Now the wicked tenants are battling with Jesus, and they began to debate him. And they are trying to find fault in him so they, they can say to the people, see, this man is not worth following. He is not the leader that you want. In fact, we ought to condemn him. We ought to put him to death. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to destroy him. 
So we see in verse 13, they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. That's an interesting group in combination. The Herodians were one who supported the stuff that Herod was doing. And most Jews did not like that, did not support them. And so it's odd that the Herodians and the Pharisees, who were the Jewish leaders of the, of the community, would actually get together. What a group. What a, 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 a union that was happening here. All because they had the same thing in mind, and that was to get rid of Jesus. So they asked Jesus... And they challenge him with three main questions. The first one is about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? You should understand that the Jewish community had a, a, a big problem with what Rome was doing, what Caesar represents. He's a leader of all of Rome. And, and Jews wanted to get out from under that leadership and that jurisdiction. And so to ask a question like this, it wouldn't be very appeasing to Jews to say, yeah, we should pay taxes. But if you can get a person like that to say, no, we shouldn't pay taxes, now you've got the direct power of the strongest government on the planet to come after him. And so it's a trick question, or so they thought. Jesus answers this question. This has to do with power. This has to do with money. Most issues do, don't they? Jesus answers this question. You notice how he answers. He says, bring me, bring, bring me a coin. Whose face is on this coin? And he says, they say to him, Caesar's face. He said, well, then get back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. In other words, he's saying, Whose face is on you? Jesus is recognizing that Genesis uh, chapter 1 tells us that we are built, mankind, human beings, are built in the image and likeness of God. In other words, God has his stamp on us. Each one of us, saved and unsaved, are built in the likeness of God. In other words, he's saying, give back all that Caesar has or owns or that belongs to him and give to God all that belongs to him, including yourself. You are made in the image of God. You belong to God. Give yourself to God. And what a strong message he's saying. You see, God doesn't just want your money. Now, some would think, well, that, that means... People say, well, he, he don't want my money, do Oh, yeah, he does. He wants everything, and he's owed everything that you are. You know, you can't inhale or exhale apart from God. What makes you think that the money you've accumulated is yours and yours alone? God can make it so that you can't even enjoy a cent of that. But you know what? He don't need it. He doesn't need it. He's making a point that it belongs to him. That everything here is his. I used to have a joke with my kids when they were at home. You know, your kids get older and they start to think they own stuff. So they would go to the store and buy a little something and put it in the refrigerator. And sure enough, just to teach them, I eat it. And they say, Dad, 
what happened to that stuff I put in the refrigerator? I said, oh, that was yours. I thought it was mine. It's in my refrigerator. I bought the refrigerator. I paid electricity for the refrigerator. I bought the house. I own the house. The kitchen is mine. All of it's mine. The food you ate yesterday that you didn't buy from the store came from me. It's all mine. Now, I wasn't saying that to be mean, but there's a point. You don't own nothing here. You have graciously been given all that you have. The food in your stomach, the clothes on your back, everything that you got has been given to you by your loving parents in this case. And I knew that they had loving parents that had given them that. And I was sure to remind them of that, to teach a point, a true point. My parents used to ask me as a pastor, you know, um, my kid closed his door in the room, should I come in or should I knock first? Or they put stuff in their dresser and, and I don't know if I should check it, if, if it's right or not. Wait a minute, who's the parent there? Who's in charge, who leads, who owns, and who rules there? You or the kids? I know for my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We understand that principle. God is simply saying to us, look, the very air that you breathe, I made. The very lungs that you use to breathe it, I gave you. The very heart that pumps your blood and keeps you going, I gave you that and the capacity for it to work or not work is mine. All of it is mine. And that's simply a way to say it's time you recognize that and start understanding where your honor and your praise ought to be. God owns it all. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, he's saying, yeah, pay taxes. You can do that. You should do that. But he says, give to God that what belongs to God. That's everything you are. We have trouble getting people to come on Sunday morning to show God honor and respect. Pastor, I'm tired. Pastor, I've been working all day all week and God says are you breathing did you wake up this morning did you see the sun at all I put the sun in the sky want me to turn it off should I stop the sun from shining should I stop the, the earth from producing that which you need to live God is saying it's mine and guess what you belong to me. You know, we sometimes mistakenly think that those who believe in God and trust in God are to give God their all, but the reality is even those who don't recognize God still belong to God. They just don't know it. They don't, just don't acknowledge it. All of us are God's creation and rightfully give account to God. And one day, we will see the reality of that. So Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Let him take what he is 
what he thinks is his, but give to God everything that belongs to God. The second question came up about the resurrection. And sometimes when you answer questions about the Bible, you get one of those stump the teacher kind of a question. And here's one of them. A stump the teacher kind of a question. I like the way Jesus answers this. He listens patiently to this whole story. It's kind of long, ain't it? You know, I, I, I'm not as patient as Jesus is, and I know Jesus knew what they were getting at when he talked about the first brother, and then the second brother, and then the third brother. And they went on all the way to the seventh brother, and, and Jesus is just listening to the nonsense of this question. Now, you understand there's a literate law that they're talking about, and true, that's taught in Scripture, that if a brother had a wife and they never had children and he died without any children the next brother in line was to marry that woman and make her his wife and so that she might raise children there and it's true if there was in fact seven and, and each one of them died without having children then each one would have married this same woman and so they give this scenario as ridiculous as it sounds uh, because they are, they are, they, they're stretching, exaggerating, trying to make a point. And they think they really got Jesus. They really think they have him. Because what they want to say is, hey, this thing is so messed up. What you going to do now? I've had people ask me, oh, well, will you believe in, in, in the, the resurrection? What happens when a man falls off of a boat in the sea and he's eaten by a, a shark? And many sharks bite him in billions of pieces, and they all eat him. And then a great whale comes and eats those sharks. And then that great whale dies, and he ends up on a shore somewhere. And all these scavengers, little birds and everything else, begin to eat that great whale. And, and they're just trying to say, what's going to happen to his body? How are you going to put that together again? But the same answer applies. Jesus starts by saying this. Verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? Clearly he says you're wrong. Not kind of like, well, I see your point. That's, that's, that's kind of an issue. No, it says, clearly you're wrong. Why are they wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now this tells us something. Understanding scripture has little to do with intellect as it does with a right heart. And it's nothing to do but little to do with intellect as it does with a right heart. Without a right heart, you will never clearly understand God's Word because you will bring your pressing opinion on it, what you want to get out of it, and you will excuse yourself and anything that points to you you will explain around. The pastor that's sleeping with women in the church will talk little about adultery and sexual sin, at least little with a good and clear conscience, because he's had that area in his life, and he is not just blind to that, but willfully blinded to that. So you get questions about the Word of God. You want to say, are you fighting for understanding 
are you starting with the pretense that, look, I need and want and will obey God whatever he says? Not, well, if it say that, I don't know about that. No, whatever God says, I'll follow and do, but help me understand what God says. That's the proper attitude. That's not where these Pharisees come from. And you can see from the beginning, or the Sadducees, I'm sorry. You see, you see from the beginning, it says, by the way, who say that there is no resurrection, verse 18. I talked about this with the so-called science in our culture today. We act like science is the end all to everything, as if what they say is absolute, when in fact it is not at all. It's not coming from knowledge either. It's coming from preconceived notions, first of all, starting with God doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that some of the things they say can't be right. They can have some truth. The fact, the problem is, is the core of it and the basis for that is wrong. That's why Jesus says, you are wrong you neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. They didn't understand what scripture was saying, but these were the experts in scripture in that day. And they knew a lot of stuff, but they didn't understand God's thinking. They didn't understand God's ways and what God was communicating. And had they known that, they wouldn't have missed God's biggest, greatest communication to mankind, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus asked the disciples and, and rounded it off to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. Not because he was the smartest of all people around, he was a fisherman. Not necessarily a brilliant-minded person, not dumb either, but simply a fisherman. Jesus said to him in Matthew, it's my Father who has revealed this to you. Not you got this from a school. Flesh and blood didn't get this to you. You didn't get this through your own thinking or somebody else's own thinking, but from the Father. That's how we're going to understand truth. And by the way, that comes to any issue you're dealing with, whether it's science or whether it's social. God's Word has something to say on it, and your understanding of God's Word will either help you understand that or cause you not to, that, to, to understand or have a blind spot when it comes to that. That's why we have to be careful in all of our social issues that, 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 that address us to make sure we understand what God has said and what he is doing. I so much enjoyed just a little part of the Sunday school that I got uh, as we were speaking on the last days and the end times and, 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 and this notion of what God is doing and how things will end up. We need that to understand today. We need to, that to understand God's word. These great scholars of their day, Jesus says, you're wrong. You don't understand the scriptures. You do not understand the power of God. He goes on to tell them that, look, in, in heaven there will be no marriage. Now, he doesn't explain the detail of human relationships in heaven. The point is, one of the things we understand is there are many things we do not understand now. God did not mean for us to delve into those 
intricacies, into those uh, details. He didn't have it for us. He's not explaining all of that to us right now. And so when I get, I get questions about those kind of details, the, the simple answer is know what you can know and stop fiddling around with all the stuff you aren't meant to know. How do you know the difference? What does God's Word teach us? What does it make clear? We have enough in God's Word to settle on that. We have enough to live by that. There are many things that we won't understand. I like the, the old timer said, we will understand it better by and by. And that's so true. That's not an excuse to be stupid or dumb or ignorant or uneducated today. It simply says that no matter how educated you are, you will not understand all the things. There's many things that God has that are veiled to human understanding. And what is not veiled, he communicates truly from his word. We have enough to live off. We have enough. Science, if done correctly, leads us to God. <laughs> helps us understand God. It helps understand God's order. Science simply says what we call the, the, the equation of, of, of the gravitational pull of forces on the earth simply describe how God, uh, 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 how he created and under what forces he created this earth or, or what exists on the earth that we can be sure of or we can test and we can see as constant. We can understand those things. So he answers that. Then he gets to a man that asks him the greatest commandment. Jesus thinks this is actually a good question. And he answers the man. And the man agrees with Jesus' answer. Notice Jesus' answer. He says, let me summarize all of the word of God. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all that you have. You should love God. And then he said the second one is just like that. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to get into that in, in a little more detail in just a moment. So Jesus deals with that man, and he says, he gave his answer to the man, and the man repeated, hey, that, that's right. You said right. And Jesus said to the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You see something? It, it's not good enough to know about the truth. To have the truth summarized and, and made plain, there's another step that has to be taken. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You heard what's right. You might even know what's right. Are you doing what's right? There needs to be a heart change for an individual to come into the kingdom of God. You're not going to come based on your knowledge. Yes, I believe you should go to a church that's preaching God's word, and you need to be there. But listening to God's word is not enough. You got to do it. You got to live it. God has to bring about a change in your heart. We call it being born again. That's what Jesus called it. He talked to a very intelligent man named Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you understand a lot of stuff. You teach a lot of people, but you got to know this. You got to be born again. Nicodemus was like, huh? What you talking about? Born again. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to jump into my mom's body and be born? He didn't understand spiritual truth. 
Jesus said, no, God's got to change you from the inside. In your capacity as a human being right now, you are not correctly related to God. You are a sinner who is rejected by God and will suffer condemnation, the judgment of God. You just like me and everybody else until God does a change in you. He's called being born again because what he does is he changes you from the inside out. He gives you a new mind to love him, to trust him, and to obey him. That's what he does. You cannot produce that. You cannot make that happen. He does that. And so I said today this is a, a portion of Mother's Day, so let me talk about the mother's part of this. <clears throat> Jesus tells a story at the beginning of this chapter against the wicked tenants. He is then opposed by several uh, 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 groups in Israel questioning his authority and who he is. In other words, they reject him and they're trying to trap him. He teaches against these in verse 38. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes. Who, walk, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace, have the best seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at feasts. What is he saying? These people live for their own glory and their appearance is what they hope to, to, to find respect and honor among all people. When they get that honor, what do they do? says in verse 40, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. I think Brian in his preaching a couple weeks ago did a good job of talking about what that means. They use their position to go into homes and cause havoc and it's not just mentally but physically. It's often associated with, with illicit thought and idea of what they want to do. And it's also all, often a sexual connotation to that. And so it is. In other words, you can see their real motive when you watch what they do. When you watch how they behave. So are you surprised when you, when you hear of politicians who are highly respected, but then you found out that they had all this nonsense going on? Are you surprised when you hear of spiritual leaders, so-called, who were highly respected, but then at the end of their life it comes out that, hey, there's some closets, there's some skeletons in the closet that aren't consistent with what they were saying and what they were preaching. One of the common words Jesus uses against such people is hypocrites. They try to say something that sounds right, but they live the opposite of that. Now, to be truthful, we all have to be careful of that, don't we? We all have to guard that our, our lives, that our lives are consistent with what we say and consistent with the Word of God. But that's, that's the, the walk that we have as a Christian walk is to trust Christ and to endeavor to live that out in each and every way that we can. What does this have to do with Mother's Day? Well, in this whole chapter, there's a great contrast. Those who who took on authority of their own, who were the false tenants, um, who, who, who wanted control over Israel, and, and, and who, who uh, murdered all of God's servants. And those, 
by the way, if it didn't say that before, those were pictures of the prophets of the Old Testament, even coming up into the New Testament and, and, and men such as John the Baptist. They killed those men. They rejected the messenger from God. And they wanted to take over and assume authority over God's realm and over God's people. But in the great contrast to that is verse 41. He says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put, put in two small copper coins that amounted to a penny. The great contrast. They, for great pretense, they wanted to have a show before others, and so they gave their offering in a public setting, and you could see all the money that they put into the box. But it says there was a poor widow. One thing hits me about this story is Jesus is looking at those who put the offerings in. And he's observing them. And he's pointing that out to his disciples. You've got to see them on the side. And people are impressed with the great offerings. And then this one woman comes in and you hardly even see her. She doesn't get a lot of attention. She just put two little coins in. So Jesus is observing. And one thing that tells me is that Jesus cares about the details of our lives. And you can look at the details. You can look at areas of our life and you can see uh, where our heart is or what we're serving. You can look at how we spend our money, what we desire to do with our money. We see the question about taxes and should we pay them to Caesar. We see the question about the marriage life and, and, and how that is going on. And, and, and Jesus, in other words, in those very details of your life, you show who you really are. And while others might be not be able to discern. Jesus is watching those who give the offering box and he can tell and he's not fooled by the huge sums of money that the rich are putting in. They're doing it for a show. But Jesus points out this one woman. I said that she's a poor widow. It doesn't say she is a mother. But she had been married and now her husband has died. It could be very well that she was a mother. But one thing I gather from her is that she is a faithful woman. That's what mothers need to be, a faithful woman. We need to understand something about motherhood that is, is something that God is looking at and he honors the detailed effort that is put forth. He looks at the ones putting all the money in the box and he's not impressed. But he looks at this poor little widow who a widow is one who no longer has the support of her husband and so whatever she's going to live on she either has to raise herself which is difficult to do in this kind of uh, social environment that she lived in or have others give to her perhaps her children but she has very little to spend and Jesus says I honor her 
because she gave her all. The others gave just a portion of what they had, and they did it for show. She gave all that she had, and she didn't do it for pretense or for show. She did it, and it's implied in here, because she loved God. When Jesus talked about the greatest commandment, he says, this is it, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. Guess what? That's going to be shown in the little things that you do that few see or recognize, but be sure God sees it. It's going to be shown as Jesus observes the treasury and the woman that probably few other people noticed, he noticed. He's looking into your life. He knows the sacrifices that you have made for your children, and he knows why you did what you did. Because he knows the heart deep within. He knows those who are given in the treasury, and he knows that they're just given as a pretense. They're just given to, to get the applaud of others. But he sees this one woman, and he points her out to his disciples and says, See, that one, she gave her all. That's what godly mothers are doing on a daily basis, is giving their heart for the responsibility and the work that God has given them to do because one, they know it's significant and important even though it seems like a little. In other words, in the world's estimate, the world doesn't esteem that very highly. They don't look at that very much. They look at the woman who's leading a corporation. They look at the, the, those who are leading in some area, perhaps entertainment or music. They look at those who, who get all the accolades. They look at those who are respected for their beauty and for their fashion. But God is looking at the heart. And here it is. The heart is shown by the little things that you faithfully do. This woman didn't come from her house and say, I wonder if Jesus is looking at me today. She just came to do what she normally does, and Jesus pointed it out because it was done from a faithful, loving heart. And he pointed it out. The message here is clear. God rewards that which is done for his glory and that which is done faithfully. And if God rewards it, you don't have to get reward from anybody else to let you know the importance of that, God counts it as important. Be sure this society will not support you, will not applaud you for those great things you do with your children as you spend time and as you pour yourself into them. And sometimes they won't even reward you. Sometimes they don't appreciate all that you've done. Well, I want to tell you, there is one that takes notice. Jesus looks. Jesus sees. He knows everything. He says this, if one person will give but a cold cup of water to one of mine or for my sake, they will have their reward. I want to tell you, when we get to heaven, things are going to be turned around. I mean, we're going to think that great people in history, even great preachers or, or great people of God are going to be applauded, but I think things are going to be turned around. I think God is going to show the videotape <laughs> and, and he's going to applaud and reward little people
who did insignificant things seemingly, but they were oh so important. And he is going to reward that. The faithfulness of a mother who continually teach and guide and instruct her children in the way of the Lord. Not just a way to make a living. Anybody can make a living. Or you can make a great living and still not spend eternity in heaven. But the, the, the wise mother invests in her children so that they hear the word of God and see the word of God coming from them. I've been blessed by God to have a mother like that, to have a mother-in-law like that, to have a wife like that, to have a daughter like that, to have daughter-in-laws like that, and be surrounded with godly women in the church like that. And so i got no excuse. I have no excuse. God says, too much is given, much is required. And certainly he requires much of me. And God requires much of you because he has now surrounded you with those same individuals. He's saying to you, be that person. Know that your reward is not here on earth. Notice, Jesus didn't go up to that woman. He didn't heal her. He didn't give her any money. He, 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 he didn't do it. He just acknowledged to his disciples. Nothing is said that he had any personal contact with her at all but be sure she'll be rewarded. The same is true of John the Baptist. John did a great thing. And Jesus, you know, when he heard that John was in prison, he was discouraged. He didn't come running to him. He didn't write a great letter. Well, actually he did in the Word of God. He says there's no greater man in all the Scripture than John the Baptist. But, uh, you know, John would say, well, hey, you know, uh, can you help me out a little bit right now? That's kind of how we think. But John is content as we should be to know that the true honor and the true praise comes from not men but from God. It comes not on earth but in heaven. He'll give you enough to encourage you here and I pray that he will. But do you need to know that what you do is rewarded in heaven by God? There are Mothers who struggle in different settings today. And there are mothers who have been faithful in teaching and instructing their children. And God wants you to know that he's given you that responsibility. He wants you to bear it faithfully. And when you do that, there is great reward. He will make sure of that. He promises that. I'm thankful for that. It's not me who gives it or, or me who promises it, but it's God who does that. And I pray that God will encourage you in that task. I was um, sharing with some students in school this week um, just what some of the things I was encouraging them to to be thankful for their parents and for their mom. And I was sharing with them what some of the things that my mother had taught me. And I still remember and still hold on to this day. Some of them are seemingly small, but they, they last a lifetime. They're a spiritual truth. I, I taught a devotion 
uh, that I would give to school and, and remember how uh, she would teach me that and share to share with you. So Psalm 56, uh, verse 3 and 4 talks about uh, uh, not being afraid. Or what time I am afraid, I will trust in you, it says. It's something that my mom has shared with me at an early age, and she probably doesn't even remember sharing that. And it wasn't like a great Sunday school lesson, but it was more like a bedtime prayer. I don't even know how old I was, but here I am, 60, 60 almost 62 years old, remembering and, 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 and enjoying the things that God has used, um, the things that God has taught me through my parents and particularly my mother. I thank God for our godly women here at Sweet Communion. I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you know, our, our world ridicules mothers. We have a mother who just had her baby number seven, and, and I know that uh, in the world she gets snickers and, 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 and different jokes from people, and she's had a difficult time working through that as well. But God upholds the mother who has dedicated herself the responsibility that God has given her to care for her children. We have two more mothers that are expecting here now, and I thank God for them and pray for them. I'm glad that they have chosen to, to be used of God to bring children into the world that they have committed already to honor God with. I can see that by how they honor God in their children that they have already. I praise God for that. We come from different homes and different challenges, but the role of a mother is important. If you have that role, trust God for the strength and the wisdom to carry out that role. Know how important it is, how significant that is, how you have a chance to make an imprint on the life of a human being. God has entrusted you with that responsibility. Now, perhaps you're not a mother or not a mother yet. Know that you have had a mother and that God can use you uh, in ways. Be, be content to work on things that may seem insignificant or not uh, uh, greatly rewarded. Be content to do what God has put in, in, in your cup, what God has given you the responsibility for, and to do it faithfully as a service unto God. I would encourage you in that. Our children here at Sweet Communion need mothers who are committed to the Lord. They need a family and a church family who's committed to their lives, who will invest in them. As I saw the children singing here, I just looked at each one and thanking the Lord for each one that they're here. And I pray, Lord, how long will they be here? How much time do we have with them? What have we implanted to them? We, I pray that, you know, there's two areas that are neglected. Can, can I get personal now? There's two areas that are neglected in our church that we need help. One is Truth Seekers, where it just has ended now, and, it, and uh, it won't be going on all through the summer, but there will be a component of training our kids for Wednesday night. And the other is, 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 is our nursery. It's the hardest thing to get people to work in those two areas. And when we work in those areas, we feel like we, we just, we don't, we don't have the energy. We don't have the time. We won't give the effort there. You need to know that we need you 
in those areas. We need your faithfulness in those areas. And you have a great uh, uh, potential to impact our children for Christ, regardless of how small your task is. You say, well, I'm just leading them in a song, or I'm just keeping them straight from, from in the playtime, or guarding over that. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. We have those who work faithfully in, in our nursery, and, and it may seem like they just steady changing diapers and, and uh, you know, dealing with crying babies and one issue to another, but they have invested in that. One, for the sake of mothers being here in service and enjoying God's Word. Two, for the sake of imp imp impacting those young lives for eternity. I want to encourage you, be involved. Take no task as uh, uh, demeaning or too small or not important. Work for the Lord. Be like the widow who gave her all. And notice, she gave it in her last days. The widow is usually a woman who's older, whose who's husband, they and her husband have lived on for, for a few years. In her last days, she's, she's saying, no, I'm not taking a break. No, I'm not going to let the young women do it. I'm going to do and serve God until the day I die. I'm going to faithfully uphold uh, the work for the Lord that he's given me to do. I pray that that will be your heart. I pray that if it's not your heart, you'll repent and you will turn and you will serve God in every area, in every capacity that you can faithfully. God's children need good, faithful mothers. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the example, the contrast that we see. Men who thought they would dare ask Jesus a question and challenge him, and yet a poor widow who never said a word to Jesus but showed in her faithfulness how she had committed all to God. We thank you for our ladies like that today, we thank you for our mothers. We pray that you would encourage their heart. We pray, Lord, that we might be a team of mothers here who faithfully commit to the task that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that we would honor those who do that, respect and treat with dignity those who have been given that task, encourage and uplift them, support them in every way. We thank you, Lord, that our Heavenly Father has been a father and a mother to each of us. We thank you for the love that he shows through the Lord Jesus Christ to bring us into the kingdom. We thank you for the salvation Thank you.